of Jesus. We pray now that that Holy Spirit who helped us see and realise who Jesus is would now help us to learn more about him and what it means to follow him. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for those who prayed. Do please take a seat this morning. And if you've got a Bible there, it would be fantastic if you might open it up to what's called Hebrews chapter 6. Jeff will bring you a Bible if you need one. Just put a hand up in the air or signal to him and he'll bring a Bible along. This is page 1204. So this is page 1204. And it's Hebrews chapter 6. We take episodes, just consecutive episodes through parts of the Bible to try and understand and what it is that God is saying to us and to try and put that into practice. And we're uh, taking a, a long, elongated journey. It's going to, in total, take a, a year or two to go through what's called Hebrews, a transcript of a speech that was given, a, a sermon that was so potent at the time that someone wrote it down and then Jesus has preserved it through history as part of his forever communication to the world. And we're on a little episode that is chapter 6 and particularly sentences 4 to 8. And I'm going to read it to us, and I will be honest, it is one of the strongest kinds of passages in the Bible. Its language is really directive and really, really clear. I'm going to put it, uh, as we look at it over the next 25 minutes, I'm going to put it a little bit into the context of what comes before and afterwards so we can understand what is going on. Uh, but I just want to be front and centre with you, ladies and gentlemen, this morning. Uh, it's a uh, shooting from the hip, straight between the eyes kind of passage. It does not pull any punches. God loves us far too much to be gentle with us when it's a moment that he needs to be a bit more clear and directive. And this is one of those clear and directive passages. And it might be needed for us right today, right at this moment, or it may well be that we need to hear it today so it's there in our psyche and our knowledge for the time when we do need this kind of strength of warning in the future. And we all do because we all tend to drift away, we all tend to turn away, we all tend to make errors in life. That's, that's part of the rich tapestry of life, isn't it? And any of us who've lived any period of time know that there are errors in our path. And so God in his love gives us parts of the Bible like this as great warning signs, which might be needed for today or could well be needed for a future moment. So let me read it to us before we get into it with that in mind. So this is page 1204, uh, chapter 6, that's the big number 6, and sentences 4 uh, to 8. It is not possible, it is impossible, for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and then produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. It's fairly straight, isn't it, kind of language. Let me put it into a little bit of context. It's a, it's a warning here, obviously. Now think about a warning for a moment. Well, warnings actually demonstrate love and responsibility, don't they? 
So you think of a parent with their children. When a parent, a good parent, issues a warning, don't do that, stop! If you do that, here's the consequence. No more Haribo for you today. Now, that, that warning, as uh, terrible as it is when you're six years old to go without your sweets, actually is a sign of love and responsibility on the parent's behalf, isn't it? Or if you think of the state with its citizens, if you drive over this speed limit, then the camera's going to flash you and the ticket's coming in the post and it's £100 unless you pay it in the first two weeks. Now that warning, with its dire consequence, actually is a sign of the state's responsibility, care and concern over its people, isn't it? The warning demonstrates the state's care. Or what about a teacher when she marks exam papers? Tick, 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 cross. Tick, 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 cross. Apparently you're not meant to use red anymore. It's done in pencil when it's a cross, not red. Red is too uh, disturbing for children anymore. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, I had a lot of red when I was at school. But, but actually that demonstrates the teacher's care, doesn't it? And concern, that kind of warning, you've got it wrong and you need to work harder to, to get it right, actually demonstrates the teacher is loving and caring towards you. In fact, uh, a teacher who never bothers to mark work, any child in a class where a teacher never hands back the homework, that child very quickly starts to say the teacher doesn't care about me because I'm not held to account. There's no warning and no consequence. Well, God, infinitely more is exactly the same. He issues us warnings in the Bible, which sometimes can be quite hard to hear, because of the love and authority and responsibility and care he feels towards us. He is the perfect parent, and we are his children that he loves, and he wants us to keep on the straight and narrow to some extent. He is that great government authority figure, the king. And we are his citizens. He is the great teacher. The rabbi, Jesus, is sometimes called that respective term for a Hebrew teacher. And we are his students. And he wants to warn us because he loves us and he's concerned for us and he's responsible for us. This passage, really, from sentence uh, 11 of chapter 5, if you could look at there on your phone or your Bible, it would be really handy. Uh, really, from chapter 5, sentence 11, right the way through to chapter 6 and sentence 12, it's one section, it's one unit of thought. It's, in fact, two great warnings and then a great hope. The warnings never come without hope in the Bible. There is always hope when there is a warning. Two great warnings and then a hope. I actually want to look at all three of those elements. We'll focus on the middle bit that I just read, which is today's focus, but I want to put it in the context of all. Uh, the first great warning, which is sentence 11 through to chapter 6, sentence 3, that unit, is the warning about those of us who should be spiritual adults, but are behaving like babies. It's those of us who should be spiritual adults, but are behaving like babies. Uh, look at the illustration in sentences uh, 12 and 13. It says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elemental truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. Do you see his illustration there? You should be adults. You should be grown up, but you're still slurping on baby milk. <laughs> I was thinking about how I might illustrate this morning. 
And I thought, because uh, in our cupboard, none of our children are still on milk. They've all outgrown it now. But in our cupboard, there's these old bottles that haven't yet been cleaned out. You know, baby bottles. I mean, they've gone through all four of our children. I mean, they probably don't meet any hygiene standard imaginable. They're cracked and faded. There's no markers on them. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's our approach to parenting. My approach to parenting. It's not, <laughs> it's not shared necessarily. Um, but they're still there in the cupboard gathering dust. I don't know why, right? Uh, I thought I could bring one of them in. Fill it with a bit of milk, and I'll stand up here and go. And then I thought, that is so disturbing, isn't it? <laughs> that would be so disturbing to see a grown adult drinking baby's milk from a bottle. And yet that is exactly what he's saying here. That is the exact illustration. The first warning is he's saying, hang on a minute, there are some of you who should be adults, and yet you're still behaving like children. And not only is that really, really embarrassing, like an adult, drinking straight from a baby's bottle, just embarrassing. It's actually incredibly unhealthy. Because baby's milk is great when you are a baby, but it does not have all the nutrients that you need and the vitamins and the minerals and the, the carb count and all the rest of it that you need when you're an adult. And so the first warning, which actually Kevin looked at just before Christmas, before the kind of Christmas break, actually the first warning is for those of us who actually realize we should really be adults by now but we're actually still behaving like babies spiritually. He puts it down here to laziness, actually. Look at uh, sentence 14. It says, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves. You see that language? Actually, as you grow up, when you're a baby, you expect someone to give the food to you, don't you? There's no way that a, a, a little two or three month old can nip into the kitchen and open the cupboards and whip them up uh, themselves an omelette. They can't, can they? Food is given to you. But when you become an adult, it requires you to do some of the work to feed yourself. So he's saying, actually, come on, if you're an adult and you're still behaving like a baby, it's, a, it's laziness on your part. He puts it explicitly that, uh, chapter 6 and sentence 12, explicitly, we do not want you to be lazy. Grow up and start helping to feed yourself. So that's the first warning. As I say, Kevin looked at it in detail a little, little while ago. It could describe some of us. And God loves us so much, he wants to uh, snap us out of it and say, come on, come on. There's so much tastier food in front of you. Have you ever actually drunk baby milk? Once or twice I have, accidentally. You know, it's actually not, not very nice. He wants us to have so much more. The second warning, which is what we're focusing on, which I read, is an escalation of that. It pushes it even further. The first warning there is about an adult who's behaving like a baby. The, the second one, sentences four to eight of chapter six, his illustration is of a field refusing to bear fruit. Not just any field, but a cultivated, fertilized, cared for field that is refusing to grow a harvest. Uh, look again at the illustration he actually uses, sentences seven and eight. He says, land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and then produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. It's an agricultural illustration here. He's saying if a farmer has a field, I, um, when I was 16, 17 years old, I had a cracking job, a summer job for that long summer holiday of, of hay baling. 
I used to ride on the back of a tractor and have all this awesome massive machinery that I was driving before I even had a, a proper um, car license for the road and just having an incredible time spending 12 hours out in the sunshine shifting hay bales and driving tractors. Fantastic. The farmer I got to know quite well. And he had a field at the bottom end of his 250-odd acres, a big, big field. And yet, over the couple of summers, the three summers I worked there, I never, ever saw him farm it. And on the third summer, I remember talking to him. We were having lunch together, just sitting in the sun. I remember saying to him, why do you never farm it? And you should have seen his face. He was a very jolly, happy chap. And his face just fell. It turned almost to thunder. And he almost spat. He almost spat. As he said, I don't know what that field is like. It's like curse. We've never been able to grow anything on it. And I asked him about it, and they'd watered it, they'd fertilised it, they'd paid for specialists at ten thousands of pounds to come in and try and diagnose what was wrong. They'd treated it all kind of ways. And over a number of generations, that field had never, ever grown. And in the end, they had almost literally cursed it. They had just turned their back on it to the point that it made them angry. Now, that is exactly the illustration that God, who loves us so much, is warning us with here. He's saying, when there is a field, when there is someone who is saying, I follow Jesus, a field that has had all the blessings of God poured onto it. Uh, look at sentence four. Look what he lists here. Uh, this, this is someone who's been enlightened and they've tasted the heavenly gift, and they've shared in the Holy Spirit, and they've tasted the goodness of God, and they've tasted the powers of the age to come. It's like a field that has been watered and cultivated and fertilized, and it's had everything poured into it, but it actively refuses to bear fruit. I say actively refuse because in sentence six there, do you see the little word who have fallen away? Do you see that little word fallen there? The actual original word isn't really fallen, which suggests an, an accidental tripping, doesn't it? Oh, I've, I've slipped and fallen. The actual word means to jump or leap. It's an active, deliberate, hurling yourself away from Jesus. He's been giving everything to you, everything to you, and you are actively jumping, hurling your way yourself away from Jesus, intentionally and deliberately. In fact, he helps us really understand what's going on here. It's a really stark warning. It's a warning that could be real for you today or is necessary for your future. Uh, look at the rest of sentence six. It says, to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again, subjecting him to public disgrace. See, this is not simply someone who believes and is refusing to behave like an adult, the first warning. This is someone who actively believes and has believed and has all this goodness poured on them and has held on to Jesus and Jesus has enlightened them and all that wonderful list and they're hurling themselves away from Jesus to such an extent they are publicly mocking him again. It says crucifying him all over again, disgracing him in public again. It's the idea of Jesus being mocked and laughed at as he dies on the cross. And these are people who are believers who are mocking Jesus again. The only time I've come across this, and my goodness, I pray it's never me. I hope it's never been me. I pray it's never me. Is early on when I first was learning who Jesus was. I'd come to trust him. I was learning who he was. 
And I'd played rugby, I played a lot of rugby, and it was uh, the two teams we'd finished, I can't remember if we won or lost, I can't remember anything about the game, but I remember being in the clubhouse afterwards with the two teams all mingling and having banter and people drinking and having fun in the clubhouse. And one of the oppositions, I, I think he was their prop or one of their forwards, a really big lad, he stood up on the chair and he started to sing in the richest, most beautiful kind of tenor voice you've ever heard beautiful voice. He started to sing a song called The Old Rugged Cross. Some of us will know that old song, The Old Rugged Cross. And I remember being gobsmacked. It's like 40, 50 perhaps with the coaches, uh, rugby playing lads, half cut, all listening fully attentively to this guy standing on a chair singing about Jesus, The Old Rugged Cross. He finished the first verse and then he began a second verse. That was his own words about Jesus, I'm up here on my cross and as I look out, I see. And those who knew what came next, who were listening, then yelled back some of the most disgusting scenes, the most profane scenes they can imagine. And he replies, here I am, Jesus, up up on my cross and from up here I can see. And he, well, you may be able to imagine the kind of language a bunch of rugby players could come up with. And as I looked to my left, the one other Christian in the team, I looked to my left, I was a new Christian, I thought, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. I, I was in a bit of a blind panic. And I looked to my left, and he was joining in. It's hurling yourself away from Jesus to such an extent that you are publicly mocking him again. Do you catch yourself ever doing that in the workplace? A joke about Jesus and you just join in the laughter because it's easy? I, I don't know. I don't know. As a pastor, sometimes I live a more sheltered life than most of us who seek to follow Jesus. It's a real warning here. And when it says, it's such amazing language, it says, it is impossible beginning of verse 4, it's impossible for someone who's had all this goodness and then leaps away. It's impossible for them, sentence 6, to be brought back to repentance. That's not a lack of power or welcome on God's part. The inability to to repent, to return to God, that's what repentance means, to go, actually, I'm going to turn back to God. It's not an inability of God's power or God's welcome or God's beckoning. There's no deficiency on God's part. It's that that heart has become so hard. That heart has become so hard, it's impossible for it to come back. It's a really stark warning, isn't it? And yet I think it's in the Bible because God loves us too much not to issue that kind of warning. That there is the possibility in every human heart, not just to behave like a baby when you should be an adult, but actually, actually to publicly mock Jesus, even though you have received all of his goodness, all of his blessing, that you believe in him and you trust him, and yet you are like a field, cultivated and fertilised, that refuses to bear a harvest. And the language here is incredibly striking at the end of verse 8 there. It will be cursed, and in the end it will be burned. And yet, I am just like the original speaker of this sermon. Because the last unit of thought from verse 9 is a great hope. Do you see it? Do you see it? It doesn't end, does it? It doesn't end, is a great hope. Even though I speak like this, 
even though I speak like this, dear friends, there are better things, I'm convinced, in your case. As you turn back to the hope that is in Jesus. Jude next week is going to take that passage. Lucky Jude. Yeah? She didn't get this week. She's going to get next week. Better things. Do you know that friend of mine? Well, he wasn't even a friend at that point. That other Christian on the rugby team. I remember about a week later in church, seeing him at the front of church with tears streaming down his face. Literally on one knee. This was not a church where you were very kind of effervescent, if you like. And he streams of tears down his face. He's on one knee. The, the vicar, a cat, Jack called Martyr, was next to him praying for me. And he beckoned me over and a couple of others. And this guy could hardly get the words out as he was so desperately heartbroken and remorseful about the way that he had, petered, that he had treated Jesus on that Wednesday night a week or so earlier. Because there is better things. I'm convinced of them. But you've got to heed the warning, haven't you? You've got to hear the warning. Just like the warning from the state of the laws of the nation or from the parent to the child or the teacher to the student. You've got to heed the warning and better things will come. Let's take a moment's quiet and allow Jesus to speak clearly to you. Are you behaving like a baby when you should be an adult? Are you refusing to bear a harvest when he's poured his goodness into your life? Heed the warning. I'm convinced of better things for you. I'm convinced of them. But you've got to turn back. Take a moment's quiet. Father God, I thank you so much that you love us too much not to issue warnings when we need to hear them. Your love is too great and your compassion too substantial for you to just turn a blind eye when we start to move away from you. And so I praise you and I thank you for it. I thank you that you expect better things of us, that this passage does not end just with the warning and the threat and the consequence and the possibility. But Lord, it moves to a point where you say, I expect better things, dear friends. Come back to the hope that you have in Jesus. Father God, I pray by your spirit that you might help us heed and hear this warning, whether it is for us today, whether it is needed for a future point in our lives and our journey with Jesus. Father, help those of us who are behaving like babies when we are, should be, in fact, adults to grow up, to buck up our ideas and behave like the adults that we are spiritually. And Lord Jesus, I lift us all, myself as well, that if we are blind to the reality that we are like a field which you are fertilising and watering and pouring goodness into and yet we are actively refusing to bear fruit. In fact, in fact we, we mock Jesus again 
Father God, I pray your spirit would just pull us up short and we would turn back, turn back and turn back and turn back to you. Jesus, help us to follow you more fully and more clearly and more completely. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. Jeff, if we could have a couple of songs, that would be tremendous. I've lost sight of you. A couple of songs would be tremendous. We'll take our offering at some point in these songs. But also what what I'm going to offer up is the opportunity for you just to be prayed for quietly um, this morning. Uh, Chris, I wonder if you might be available for that. That would be tremendous. Um, Chris will be lurking around somewhere. Um, I'll I'll be uh, up here somewhere, perhaps with Hannah as well, uh, if you want both of us to to pray uh, for you. Um, Chrissy's here. Wendy's here. Um, They'll be lurking around somewhere around the room as well so just go find someone to be prayed for you've got Chris you've got Hannah and I you've got Chrissy you've got Wendy um, someone just to pray for you would be really really great whether you picture yourself in one of those images of an adult behaving like a baby spiritually of a field that should be bearing fruit and is actively not or whether you don't quite but you just want a chance to pause and be prayed for we've got a little bit of time here um, to do that before the kids kind of re-emerge and as I say somewhere in the midst of this uh, you'll see a bag go round. if you want to give financially to the church that way you can If that's not your thing or not your way, just let it pass you by. And Jeff's going to lead us in two or three songs um, just to give us to a conclusion. So why don't we stand and we'll sing when Jeff tells us.